0: No matter what happens, America is going to be just fine. This is a country full of good people.
1: Yeah, good people, like my dad. Uh, Let's put a pin in that. (laughs) Mr. Mueller, people say you're the worst thing to ever happen to my dad. No, Eric, getting elected president was the worst thing that ever happened to your dad.
0: It's Saturday night. It's
1: Saturday night live. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live after party. This week we'll be discussing season 44 episode 8 of SNL with host Jason Momoa and musical guest Mumford & Sons. I'm John Murray and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you like listening. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: Jason Momoa!
1: All right, before we jump into the episode recap tonight, we're going to take a look at a little bit of listener feedback. Now, during the good nights, Jason Momoa made a very passionate declaration that he would be coming back, which means either, you know, he just let his enthusiasm get the better of him, or maybe he knows something that we don't know. Regardless, listener Pretty in Pink asked, do you think Momoa did a good enough job to ever host again? So what do you think? Is he worth bringing back?
0: He is. Maybe he didn't do the best job ever of all first-time hosts, (laughs) sure, but I've seen first-timers do worse than that. And come back to do much better on their second, third, fourth, even fifth time. Sure. Uh, I think he's got it in him. He certainly loves being there enough. If he can channel that enthusiasm into uh, more focus, perhaps, and uh, just maybe find himself landed in less of a messy episode, (laughs) we might have like the next
1: best all-time host. Who knows? Uh, Yeah. You can't fault him for his enthusiasm. And when it comes right down to it, I would rather take a host who really wants to be there over you know, someone who's just stumping for a movie any day of the week. Even if they don't turn in the absolute best show, that can't all be laid at their feet. But what always elevates a show is when you can just tell that they are reveling in it when they just are a true, genuine fan. And that's, I think what you got from Jason Momoa. If anyone was following his Instagram throughout the week, he was living it up. This was a dream come true. And, and I really bought into it when he said, yeah, I'm an SNL nerd. This is totally mind-blowing to me. Um, so that is infectious and that always elevates a show, even if it can't totally carry the material, uh, it certainly never hurts. So I think a show is always better when the host genuinely wants to be there and can bring that much infectious energy with them. So I'm big thumbs up on Momo. I'd be more than happy to see him again. And like you said, you know, maybe he wasn't handed the best material, but when he comes back, maybe the show's going to know what to do with him. Maybe they're willing to get out from under sort of the cliche brute characters that they kind of kept him in tonight and can have even more fun with him. And I would love to see that show. So, yeah, definitely have him back if you can, SNL. Yeah, let's have him back. Cool. Okay, let's uh, take a look at the show for our cold open. During his bedtime story, Eric Trump is menaced by a Mueller in the closet, and we get a cameo from Robert De Niro back as Robert Mueller.
0: I would say that this one got by on the seat of its pants (laughs) in spite of its struggles with uh, once again, having Robert De Niro on camera (laughs) at studio eight H. I don't know why they would put themselves in such a risky position. He definitely has the track record of having a little bit of trouble on live TV, right? but they were smart enough to put him with Alex Moffitt, who is a very reliable player. And if anyone's going to help, keep this sketch on the rails. It's
1: him. Mm -hmm. So let's give it a yay just for the fact that it didn't go completely overboard. Okay. Uh, Fair enough. I agree. This is a marginal win for me simply because it was very quick. This was not a drawn out cold open that tried to be everything in the kitchen sink in the week's news. And I really like that. I don't think it was terribly funny. Uh, I cringe a little bit when Robert De Niro shows up as Robert Mueller, because this whole idea of him just kind of being the menace in the shadows, it's not really that creative and they don't seem to do much with it and like you said robert de niro is kind of a mixed bag as far as his ability to perform on live tv so i really think the show made a misstep when they decided to double down on him i think they should have gone back to kate or someone else in the cast because if they ever have anything genuinely meaty to do with Mueller, now they're kind of wed to robert de niro and i i don't know if he could ever get through it uh proficiently enough to make a, a real juicy political sketch work so this was uh, a very like anxiety inducing cold open for me. Just, you know, when the closet opened and I knew it was going to be him and lo and behold, it was him. And I'm like, are you even going to be able to say live from New York this time? (laughs) Everything about it from that point forward just had me, you know, really anxious to see if they were going to be able to pull it off. And they just barely did. He did fumble, but you know, for what it's worth, they got through it. Marginal win. Marginal. Yeah. What else can you say? Let's take a look at the monologue. The cast pitches Jason Momoa on a theme song for Aquaman. Well, that's one thing they did. Right. You could say they had at least 3
0: separate ideas for a monologue with Jason Momoa, and they decided to just quilt together all <laughs> 3, and it doesn't flow together. It has no segue that makes sense. It feels a little bit jarring and disjointed. And if it wasn't for Jason Momoa, you know, showing up in his uh <laughs> pink leather pants and his cream leather jacket right? with no shoes on, of course, you know, other than his enthusiasm to be there, it was a bit of a mess.
1: Sure. Uh, agreed. I really, really liked that he came out barefooted and just all enthusiasm and energy. I feel like I got instantly what he was all about. I didn't know anything about him, but when he came out barefoot, I went, oh, I get it. He's Hawaiian. And now it all makes sense. He's just a gentle giant. So. This monologue succeeded in introducing us to him and just how happy he was to be there. That is the win of the monologue. But like you said, the rest of it was just kind of a a hack together mess, probably got butchered between dress and live. And I think what they left in was at best amusing, but because it was so disjointed, it was kind of hard to get on board. So I I felt like it was kind of clumsy. There were some awkward moments, like, especially with the staging, they had Jason Momoa behind Kenan and Leslie and Chris during that musical number at the end, which to literally upstage the host just feels wrong in that moment. And they had him do like a pre-recorded version of that little self-aggrandizing song moment, which seemed weird. Like, why wouldn't he perform that? Yeah. So there was just a lot here that just felt like, okay, wh- what was that, and why did they do it like that? So yeah, it wasn't a hundred percent win, but the guy was grinning ear to ear and. I do get charmed very easily when I see a host that is happy to be there. So for that, barely a win. That's where I'm going to land on it.
0: Well, I'll give it a, a loss, but that's yeah. okay.
1: And I, and I think that's the right call. But like I said, I, I do get very easily charmed by hosts that are all just infectious energy and just really sell you on the idea that they're living their dreams right now. So I I will get on board just purely for that. But you're absolutely right. This was a mess. Let's move on. For our first live sketch, Scrappy the Elf is no longer comfortable watching his assigned kid.
0: I think they set this up in a great subtle way, mm-hmm. saying that he's been watching over the kid for 13 years. <laughs> yep. They just let you do the math, and it led to a clever exploration of a pretty <laughs> obvious idea, if you just sure. think about it for a few minutes.
1: Yeah, this was absolutely great. Uh, very simple easy for the audience to get up to speed on. And the real great thing is that Santa and the elves have absolutely no frame of reference for anything, even like slightly PG or adult. Like there's just no way that they could grasp what he was alluding to. So his subtlety and his desire to try and be, very, you know, like appropriate is shooting him in the foot because he just can't get the idea across. And that's just a lot of fun to watch that back and forth of, he knows what he's trying to say. They are clueless that that was the enjoyment for me. And I thought that they pulled that off really well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to that whole nudge, nudge, wink, <laughs> wink <laughs> right angle. Yeah. They were hitting that with success. Yep. Uh,
1: so yeah, big win for me. Same. Moving on. We get a pre-tape, a commercial for GE's new big boy home appliances. Yeah, I really love this.
0: (laughs) This was working on a couple of levels. Commentary on societal norms changing. Right. More women in the workplace, all that stuff. But uh, some really true-to-life observations about marketing and how they appeal, essentially the same product, to different demographics. (laughs) Right. And uh, what better host to sell the big boy home appliance line (laughs) than uh, Jason Momoa. Just obviously that six foot seven lumberjack look (laughs) is, is what they would need for this kind of commercial. So they uh, struck while the iron was hot. Yep. This was a win.
1: It absolutely was a lot of fun, smarter than it needed to be, you know, framing it in terms of the 1950s, like throwback commercial of the mom is the authority on everything domestic. And so products would cater to her taking that, turning it on its head and then going overboard with it. That's great. That's, that's a perfect premise for a sketch. The visual gags, all fantastic. You know, the <laughs> riding lawnmower in the house. Brilliant. The jackhammer for the stain remover. Everything that they, they found to weave into this, I, I thought was playing really well. And so, yeah, I got to applaud it. I think this came together really nicely. Yeah. Beautiful. Let's keep moving. We get another live sketch. Dothraki Public Access is called Drogo's Ghost Dojo. Now, I have never watched Game of Thrones. I have no frame of reference to know if they were tapping into anything brilliant with this sketch. So, I have very little to contribute, but I know that you are a Game of Thrones fan. So, yes. I'm just going to hand it over here. Was there anything here worthwhile?
0: worthwhile. I don't know. This could have been cut and I wouldn't miss it. Okay. It kind of feels like they didn't want to write this sketch, but had some kind of obligation to.
1: Yeah. It's the obligatory fan service of the night.
0: Sure. And uh, you could kind of tell that not everyone's heart was in it. Even some of the impressions felt a little bit low effort. Mm -hmm. Other than Heidi's pitch perfect impression of Brianne Tarth. Okay. That was actually amazing. But other than that, from writing to performance, I just didn't find this working for me.
1: Sure. Uh, Fair enough. I have nothing to add other than I like when they jumped into like Jerry Springer handheld camera mode, you know, for the little, the little fight there at the end. Thought that was fun. But yeah, I couldn't offer anything terribly insightful about this. So let's just keep moving. Sure. We get a pre-tape from the producers of Empire comes them Trumps. I could totally see
0: something like this being on like Chappelle's show. Right. If back in the day they had something like empire on television. Yeah. Like some of Dave's humor, they're asking a very similar question. You know, how would this all play out if, uh, if race roles were changed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, just like the sketch itself, it, it would end quickly. Right. <laughs> and, uh, very appropriately, this sketch is short, but sweet. Sure. And, uh, I thought it was a win for that reason.
1: Yep. Agreed. This sketch could have very easily got bloated and unfocused if they decided to go really heavy on all of the tropes from that show. Like they could have loaded it up with all sorts of little like one-off jokes and visual gags that people who watch the show would pick up on, but they very smartly kept focused and drove towards that big turn where, (laughs) you know, the FBI burst in and it's obvious that yeah, it's game over for them Trumps. That was very adeptly handled. So I got to applaud the focused writing. I got to applaud how quickly they got in and out and didn't try to drive that same joke into the ground too many times. I think twice was you know a great way to hit it. So yeah, there was a lot here that came together nicely. Uh, and I think maybe the editing is what needs to be applauded. They just really kept this one focused. And, and I think it worked because of that. Agreed. Beautiful. For our musical performances, Mumford and Son perform Guiding Light and
0: Delta. Look, if you like Mumford & Sons, you're going to like this musical performance. Sure. And that's something that most Mumford & Sons fans already know. Right. They do a very recognizable sound. You know, They're very melodic and uh, rich and uh, high energy. You can spot a Mumford & Sons song from a mile away. It's always enjoyable, but you know exactly what you're going to get. Right. Other than maybe getting a little more electric in later years, they've been pumping out this kind of
1: music since they've been a band and it continues to be consistently good. Yep. My only note sounds like Mumford and Sons, you know, like (laughs) they definitely did not break the mold with any of this, but they didn't have to, like you said, they've got a solid sound. It's recognizable. The performance was very nice. Yep. Uh, if people aren't into it, there's probably not much here that's going to rouse them because it's not like a super exciting performance with a lot of flourish or anything grand about it. But yeah, if you dig it, then you're going to dig this. <laughs>
0: so, Five words is all you need. Yeah. Sounds like Mumford and Sons.
1: Yeah. So let's not uh, dig any deeper on that. Let's keep moving. Weekend update for their lead-in. Jost and Che discuss Trump's reaction to the Mueller report. what do you think about this week's opening salvo?
0: Well, they certainly had a lot of comedy to draw on with uh, his counter investigations and everything <laughs> right. he's been posting on Twitter. Yeah. But I especially liked the second run of jokes more so this week, all the silly stuff about British RuPaul and uh, <laughs> uh, Chinese bullfighters. Right. That's where I had the most fun tonight on weekend update.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. This was perfectly serviceable. This is not the high water mark for the season, but not every week can be. Um, Che had a, a pretty fun moment where he likens Trump's behavior to all the scuzz bag things that he would do if he was in Trump's position. So I'll, I'll give him some applause. Otherwise it was competent, you know, nothing spectacular, but I, I think it was all very serviceable and good. So this is a win for me. Yep. Yep. Let's take a look at our first feature. Ad Bryant as seventh grade travel expert, Carrie Crum. I
0: think Ad did great. Yeah. You got to hand it to her. This was, uh, some pretty astute character work. I think she fleshed out a really believable child Mm -hmm. um, enough there that was relatable and recognizable. You could make a lot of comedy work with this. So it's a win for me.
1: Yep. It worked very well. I agree. I love the idea that she has the wonder of youth to the point where all of these, destinations that would be considered boring and mundane even by Midwestern standards are just the Taj Mahal to her. I, I really love that. Yeah. I think that's a great way into the material. And I think that everywhere they took it was really good. These are all very true notions that like a, a tweeny girl would would have. You know, like we go to my aunts and the neighbors are boys, so this is like super exciting. Um yeah, a lot of fun. My only note was this is bizarro Stefan. You know, if Stefan is Uber Extreme and Uber Worldly and just pushing the envelope on the types of destinations that polite regular folk would never want to go anywhere near she's the exact opposite. Oh yeah. She is so sheltered and so inexperienced in the ways of the world that anything like uh visiting cousins, visiting aunts, uh did you know that uncles can have ponytails? Like these are the notions that she finds just absolutely Riveting. Right. I love that. I I love that they found so much funny and such a, you know, a simple, sweet, charming little character as a a fresh one-off update character. I thought this was really good and applause to 80 for being able to really sell the material. Yeah. Perhaps to her. Yep. Beautiful. After that, Michael Che decides that he needs to discuss the joys of bidet ownership. What'd you think?
0: That was a bunch of jokes about bidets. All
1: right. That's a hot take. Uh, you got anything else to say or you, you were
0: pretty cold on this? I, I didn't particularly love it. I thought Michael was kind of trying to do a different version of himself and not really uh, landing it. Okay. I felt like he was jumping over to the other side and trying to put on kind of a weekend update feature Michael Che. Right. Instead of weekend update anchor Michael Che. But I didn't think it played sincerely. And um uh, I just thought most of the jokes were literal toilet humor and didn't really make much of a splash. (laughs)
1: Okay. all right. (laughs) Apparently you are not above toilet humor, but uh, okay. I can see where you're coming from, but you know what? The whole notion of him trying to come on as a feature and sort of being wide-eyed about the experience of, oh, like this is what SNL is like. And, you know, uh, just completely steamrolling over Colin's protestations to him even doing it. I really liked that, you know, the, the rest of the material was fairly forgettable, but I didn't find it nearly as off-putting as you did. I, I felt like the part itself was serviceable, but the setup of him trying to take a run at being a feature was amusing. Even like how he tries to do Leslie's bit of calling out Jost and he just doesn't have the energy or the delivery to pull it off. And he acknowledges that those were some fun little moments. And that was pretty good. And I, I felt like overall I was. Charmed by it. Like I had fun with it. I don't think it's exceptional. I don't think we're ever going to talk about it again, but for what it was is, you know, a minute or two to round out weekend update. I I thought it worked perfectly good. Okay. (laughs) Maybe I'll come around. Yeah, whatever. Back half of the show. We get a live sketch. Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by an extra Christmas
0: spirit. I'm not sure I was the biggest fan of this one. Mm -hmm. There were some fun moments. Obviously, uh, Jason Momoa has no problems making a fool of himself. Right. He really wanted to fit in there. I don't know. It, it might've been a little bit too much of an effort to, to sell this on his part. And, uh, where it wasn't really the, the strongest material in the first place. I don't think this, uh, this held any weight.
1: Yeah. Um, I understood the, the notion of a Christmas spirit. That's a little bit too much to handle, <laughs> you know, right. a, l- a little more flamboyant or a little more over the top or just, extreme in your face. Uh, I I get it. You know, the, that lines up with what the young kids are doing, but yeah, there wasn't a whole lot here that you can really point to that says, Oh, that was brilliant. You know, (laughs) not, not great writing, not really a great mashup or a great way to weave in the notion of the extra personality. So definitely not a win for me. Well, it filled some time. Yeah, it certainly did. And the one thing that I will say about it is that it, it's one of the few times tonight where they let Jason Momoa out of the brute persona, right? He's either playing a character from Game of Thrones or he's playing someone who's breaking down walls and, you know, just totally brash or manly. Like this was one of the few twists on the Jason Momoa persona that they explored. So I'll give them credit for trying something, but yeah, just didn't come together. I don't think. Maybe not. All right, let's move on. We got another live sketch. In the 1985 movie, Day of the Dorks, Sigma Theta frat brother beef really hates dorks. I think this had
0: some stuff working for it. Okay.
1: I'd say that the cast
0: deserves a shout out just for really capturing the feel of these types of films mm-hmm. in the characters. Yeah, How they played up those old uh, tropes really helped sell those Revenge <laughs> of the Nerds uh, animal house type frat movies. Right. And, uh, other than that, you know, it didn't really have much supporting it. I think that beef character didn't really go <laughs> in any direction once it was uh, established. Yep. But, uh, yeah, they did have something here, although it wasn't a total home run.
1: Okay. Uh, my thought, all style, no substance like you. I thought it was fun that they were tapping into the revenge of the nerds college comedy kind of genre. Uh, it looked great. The costuming was great. The characters, their dialogue, all that was great. And just nothing here to point to as far as like a, a really funny twist or a fun take on it or anything just thought provoking, you know, like, okay, he's the, he's the brute in the frat. Okay, great. So the punchline is he breaks through a wall and kills the nerd. (laughs) Like, um, all all right. I, I guess. I guess that's something, but I I just don't know what they wanted us to be taking away from any of this. So I, I can't count it as a win.
0: Yeah, I think it's nothing more than, Hey, remember these movies?
1: Yeah, that's what it is. It's playing on nostalgia. It's painting a picture, but they just didn't have a whole lot to say. So uh, that's only half the equation guys. (laughs) Uh, Your, your set dressers get high marks, but that's about as much as I can (laughs) offer on this guy. Uh, Let's keep moving. We get a third live sketch in a row. Gene and his girlfriend are joined by Gemma and her enthusiastic boyfriend for a romantic winter sleigh ride. I think this is one of the better pair ups for
0: Gemma. Sure. You know, say what you will about her tasting men. <laughs> but I think this uh Jason Momoa fella is uh just the right amount of douchey <laughs> okay. to be uh, a Gemma companion. Yep. And I think they had some fun aside jokes like uh the the sleigh rider being asexual for no reason. <laughs> right. I just love the pointless uh little asides they go to in these Gemma sketches. Yep. Yeah, other than that, it was uh Average recurring sketch being average once again.
1: Yep. Uh, exactly. An average recurring sketch being average. Once again, we only see these about once a season and that's about perfect because if they trotted her out again, uh, I would say too much, but I'm okay with this. Cause you're right. It was a good pairing for this particular host. And I can understand why they wanted to go back to it specifically for that reason. Cause they could see how he could be woven into it in a very uh, amusing way. Yeah. That's why this is good material for the rock too, because he has that same kind of over the top persona that, that seems to fit well with it. Um, it worked. It was fine. It was not remarkable. It was just another outing with Gemma. A Few new jokes sprinkled in to try and make it fresh, but otherwise, yeah, this is just Gemma doing Gemma's thing. That's that I guess. Yep. Okay. Moving on. We get a pre-tape before meeting his girlfriend's parents. Michael goes to extraordinary lengths to make a good first impression. Wow. What a ride. (laughs) Okay. My first
0: thought was, Hey, this isn't, totally all that new. This feels like Lord Windmere. Yeah. But by the end of it, this was some of the most, uh, alt capital, a L T alt comedy that, right. uh, SNL has done. <laughs> and they've been really leaning into it in the last couple of seasons. So the amount of the time they took on, for example, Jason, just checking out Beck, having <laughs> him spin around that went on for a good 15, 20 seconds. <laughs> And that's so strange to see on SNL. Yeah. It shows that they're opening up to other avenues of humor for sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So more or less, I'm just saying what I thought might've been a little derivative at first was one of the most off the rails, uh, regional pieces I've seen in a long time.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. This was great. This was absolutely fantastic from the second that the dad character gets into it, like you know, he's a dog and he's got the scent, you know, like, and you see him like prowling around and he's like, I got to do this, right? Like, this is a game. Like, this is fun. Like, this is happening. Yeah. As soon as that happened and you realize, oh, okay, this isn't just going to be like a cringy. This boyfriend just keeps digging a whole kind of a sketch. This is going to flip that idea on its head where everyone should be totally put off. But instead, it actually turns out that this is the one thing that could charm such a bizarre father character. That is just so wonderful. I I do love it when SNL finds something that, that really just, just really connects with me. And and this definitely did from end to end. Uh, I was riveted. I just, I wanted to know where they were going with it. I wanted to know what the twists and the turns were going to be. And it didn't disappoint. Like you said, rounding it out with the, the father, like, looking over Beck. And so, you know, Beck's kind of like preening himself and like puffing up a bit and trying to strike a pose for him. And then he like asks for okay, quarter turn, like give me another angle. Okay. Give me another angle. And they just <laughs> they just keep driving it into the ground well beyond the point where anyone in the situation should be comfortable. Uh but everybody is just happy and elated that the family, you know, is simpatico. That's just oh, so good. So good. Loved it. Loved it.
0: Yeah. No, we were fans. <laughs>
1: Moving on, 10 to 1 sketch. Things take a dark turn when Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer goes on a massive power trip.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. We never think about how Rudolph might harbor some ill feelings after (laughs) being bullied and called names for so long. Mm -hmm. But here we go. Here we have uh, an exploration of what that might be like, and turns out it's actually kind of funny. Yep. Uh, Nice to see Pete get a bit of screen time, uh, take the lead for a while. I thought he made a good Rudolph, and uh, yeah, just his smug attitude was perfect for this.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Agreed. This was a good 10 to one, a little bizarre, a little dark, well performed and just a a fun little subversion of a children's classic. You know, like that's, that's okay. I I can get on board with a dark turn where Santa feels compelled that he has to take one of his deers out back and do them in for bullying Rudolph. That is a fun little twist that I didn't see coming. Um, I liked it. I thought that this was a nice way to round out the night. And appropriately Christmassy. So I'll count this one as a win. Oh, you know, I do too. Yep. Beautiful. Uh Before we move on, a few of our listeners chimed in and they just wanted us to weigh in on whether we think Pete's on an upswing with his sketch work lately. Uh, any thoughts? Because he has had a, a few notable roles in the last few episodes that he seemed to be able to get through competently, aside from just like his pre-tape rap stuff. So what do you think after, what is it? Five, six seasons now? Is Pete finally shaping up as a sketch performer?
0: I think he is. Okay. You know, he's uh, certainly a much bigger name after this summer and a lot of being accepted as a, uh, as a lead in a sketch by the audiences, nothing more than just being recognizable. Sure. Feels like your friend paying you a visit that goes a long way. Okay. And if Pete's a bigger name now, that's probably what uh, allows him to take the lead in more sketches.
1: Okay. I'm going to take a more measured stance and say, Okay. He's had a couple good shows, but <laughs> uh, a couple good shows. A career does not make. It wasn't that long ago that we had that magician dating sketch that was just completely off the rails. And, and he was one of the, the contributing factors to that one, not coming together. And yeah, he's had his fair share of fumbly moments all season. So yeah, this was a solid sketch and he did a really good job. And uh, last week he had the the Guma sketch where he comes in as the, the brash John yes. and that's some solid work. So I, I respect that he has had a, a couple choice roles that he really bit into. And, and I will applaud both of those, but I'm going to need to see a bit more before I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Pete Davidson has arrived as a sketch performer. So uh good showing tonight. Happy to see Pete doing good. Uh, I'd like to see a lot more of it (laughs) and less of the fumbling and the breaking and just the general ineptitude that sometimes seems to be overwhelming for him in sketches. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to say cautiously optimistic, maybe. Okay, sure. Let's put that to bed
0: and get into our moment of the night. Oh, hell my moment of the night, uh, felt like it lasted forever. It's going to be, uh, (laughs) Jason Momoa giving, uh, Beck Bennett one last (laughs) look over before he signs off on him for his daughter. Sure. That very strange, painfully long moment from that uh, hide and seek pre-tape takes it from me. That's just a moment I'm not going to forget for a while.
1: Okay. Uh, I think that's fair. I'm going with Santa reveals the shotgun. <laughs> there you go. Yep. like That's when that sketch said to me, oh, you know what? We actually had a reason. It wasn't all just set up and a goof on him being bullied and being a jerk about it. We know where we're going with it and it's going to be fun. So come along while we put a reindeer out of its misery. That was fun and I think that that's exactly what you want out of a late in the evening kind of sketch, one that can surprise you and still feel well rounded. And so that's mine. Okay. Now that's a good one. Best sketch.
0: Well, I loved it that much. The uh the first impression mm. pre-tape. Yep. I got to give it to that. It was just so well executed and potentially could have failed completely, but obviously the guys behind this really know what they're trying to achieve. And uh, this type of old comedy is more than welcome for me. And I'm glad to see it being embraced Mm -hmm. by an institution like Saturday Night Live. Yep.
1: Totally agree. This was the section of the show that I think was an unqualified win. It was a pretty middling show in a lot of ways, but this one end to end just, yeah, it had me perked up and really engaged and genuinely giddy as the dad is... Tearing the house apart, just totally invested in this game for no good reason. And no matter what Beck does, it can't put him off. You know, even the dumb things that he says, the dad's like, I say those same dumb things. <laughs> yeah, there was just a lot that was really charming me. So, uh, yeah, it's my best sketch, too. MVP. I'm giving it to Mr. Mikey Day.
0: Okay. I think he deserves it. Sure. Uh, he's more or less in almost everything. He, uh, was responsible for steering a lot of the sketches as a straight man. And, uh, just had some really memorable moments, uh, for example, as one of the elves and uh, just thought he did a really good job.
1: Yep. Fair enough. Him and Streeter got a lot of stuff on the air this week, so he he definitely carried his weight. Um, I didn't feel like he was that much of a standout, but that's because, you know, he's supporting a larger than life host and a lot of the sketches were really geared to just trying to highlight the infectious energy of the host. So it wasn't really a standout week for any of the cast, but they Certainly got their fair share of screen time. There was a lot of live material, not all of it fantastic, but he definitely was right up there Sure, uh, in his participation. So yeah, I, I can totally see that, but I'm going to just go with 80 purely because I thought that she did a fantastic job with her Carrie Crom seventh grade travel expert, uh, fresh material well-delivered. It was fun. It was the other section of the show that I felt was an unqualified win. So I'm just going to highlight that. She deserves that. Yeah. That's a good pick. She does really good. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? Well, I warmed up to this one. Okay. After my
0: re-watching, just to make sure that uh, I wasn't in a bad mood the first time, mm-hmm. it went up a notch for me. And uh, I think it might have went up uh, yet another notch talking about it. Unfortunately, that only brings it to a decent. <laughs> sure. <Yep.
1: laughs>
0: but I honestly did think at one point in my first watch geez, I think I might have another train wreck, mm. but yeah, I went up two whole, um, points on the scale just from, I guess, being in a better mood. Mm-hmm. Who knows what it is. Sometimes shows grow on you. That's fair. Yeah, and this one did.
1: Yeah. I was hovering on weak, but I feel like Jason Momoa's infectious energy helped keep it out of that range. Even the material that was very middling and had no clear focus or anything satisfying about it was still a little bit more fun because I just knew he was having fun and he was just bringing everything he could to it. Um, So that was still a little bit more amusing to watch than this same material might've been in less fun hands. So to me, it never truly got down into the dank, weak area. Um, I feel like there were some clunker sketches. I feel like there was a couple great moments, but by and large, just a lot of middling, fairly decent material. So uh, that's where I'm landing, right in the middle, decent. Yep, perfect. Beautiful. You got anything else to say? I don't. That'd be it. Okay. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, Jonathan Jordan, Kalen Pope, and Miles Donahue. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Matt Damon and musical guests Mark Ronson and Miley Cyrus. Until then, this has been episode number 64 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to So, Carrie, what kind of destinations can you recommend for vacationers? Oh, well, one of the absolute best global destinations has got to be Columbus, Ohio. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you got cousins, you got aunts, and did you know that uncles can have ponytails, too? (laughs) Yeah, but the best thing about Columbus is, Michael, Michael... What? My cousin's neighbors are boys. All right, Carrie, that sounds pretty specific to your family's (laughs) trips.
0: Where can other people travel?